This is Lon Winters with Graphic Elephants. This is Jimmy Lamp. This is Matt Masalo with the RhinestoneWorld.com. And you're listening to the Two Regular Guys Podcast. And you are listening to the Two Regular Guys Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by... My name is Terry Combs RG. Regular Guy. And Aaron Montgomery. We're just regular guys having fun and uh, trying to, to make a living in this really cool and exciting industry. I think we all want to succeed 100% of the time seek to understand before I try and make myself understood. Bring a ton of great information. Coming to you live from somewhere dark, dirty, and dank. Well, welcome into the show. It is Friday, June 2nd, 2023. I'm Terry Combs, and you can find me at terrycombs.com. And I am Eric Campbell, very obviously not Aaron Montgomery sitting in today. And you can find me at ericcampbell.com. And today, hopefully, and I'll be very candid about this here shortly, uh, we're going to be talking to Zach Ahorn of Self-Made Designs, and he'll be joining us to talk about being self-made in the screen printing community and his project, Print Plugs. Now, this is where I get to be very candid for, for the both of us. Zach isn't here yet, and this has happened sometimes <laughs> on live shows. We'll just let you know. We're going to try and get him in when he gets in. If he doesn't get in here, it's not as if Terry and I haven't talked for an hour in front of you guys before, <laughs> but uh, we always try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, and, and I actually did get a text from Zach uh, about 45 minutes ago. He's at Rockfest right now, yep. and he's going to step away and, and jump onto the show. So we're hoping he's uh, not having connectivity issues because that happens in the live shows. All of our all the regulators know when we try to go live and Eric, you know best <laughs> when uh, we tried to do the last year from the DAX or the, la the two regular yeah. guys from the DAX show. Uh, Aaron and I both fell out, and you had to finish uh, interviewing our guests, which was awesome. Good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Like I said, we make our way. I mean, luckily today we do have something to at least give you some good, solid industry content because we have our news segment, which I have always enjoyed. And today, of course, Cassie Green from Apparelist is in with us today. So hopefully you guys are here and ready because there's always something good to listen to from Cassie. All right. Without further ado, folks, let's get to the news. Yeah, what's up, regulators? Happy to bring you the news again this month. Um, Terry, thanks for reminding me it's June and halfway through 2023. I was not ready for that. So um, before before I uh, get to the news headlines, just going to take a little, little sip of coffee out of my two regular guys mug. Uh, there we go. Uh, that's better. Uh, so first headline I have for you guys today. <clears throat> More than 500,000 recycled bottles make up world's largest t-shirt. Uh, we have covered various Guinness World Records at Apparelist in the past. Um, there's a guy who broke the record for most t-shirts worn during a half marathon, which is, you know, running a half marathon is a feat in and of itself. Now try and put on 90 something t-shirts and do it. Um, so the, the really cool thing about these Guinness World Records um, in regards to apparel is usually people do them to support a good cause or promote like something really cool. So for this one, three Romanian organizations worked together to create the t-shirt. It measure, measures approximately 357 by 241 feet. Um, if you go to the apparelist, click on the link, you can see a picture of the shirt. It is absolutely mind blowing. Um, but as if the size isn't impressive enough, um, it's made from over 500,000 recycled plastic water bottles. So of course they did this in an effort to really encourage people to recycle, at least, you know, shine a spotlight on the sustainability um, part of this really kind of a cool thing. Uh, it took over three weeks 
to collect all the water bottles to make this shirt. And it took about a month for seamstresses to construct the t-shirt. So um, pretty amazing how all of this came together. Again, click on the link if you want to get all the details about uh, the actual you know, measurement day where everything was made official. Really neat story there. Second headline I have for all of you regulators, Champion named new apparel partner for Shop for a Cause initiative. Uh, the National Federation of State High School Associations, uh, try and say that 10 times fast. Um, we're just going to use the acronym going forward, NFHS. So NFHS is a group that advocates for high school athletics as well as fine and performing arts programs. They announced a multi-year agreement with Champion Athletic Wear um, as the official American Cancer Society for the NFHS fundraising. That's really convoluted. So <laughs> let me kind of break that down, um, what it means. So basically as the partner, Champion currently has an online storefront that serves high school teams, fans, local communities, with all of the proceeds benefiting the American Cancer Society. And again, this is in tandem with NFHS fundraising. So I like to share stories like these because not only does it spotlight the current human rights and good deeds that are happening in the apparel industry, but hopefully it inspires some of you decorators out there who might be passionate about a certain cause or nonprofit or whatever um, to look for ways to use your apparel prowess to serve the community. So really neat. Again, love to share these inspiring stories. I have one more headline for all of you today. Uh, and it's a little self-serving, but I think you all should know Printing United Expo registration for 2023 event is currently open. Um, this will take place October in Atlanta this year, October 18th through the 20th. Um, I just want to, you know, again, point out to everybody, Expo registration, this is a big deal for us, guys. Um, and of course, you know, we're all very proud that we won Best Industry Trade Show last year. Um, and it's it's not a brag. It's more of a thank you to all of you for recognizing our efforts in the printing industry, but also to readdress and re-engage the apparel audience. We're super excited to be a part of this industry. Um, we're really ramping up our efforts efforts uh, in the apparel printing segment, you're really going to see that this year at Expo. It's even bigger than it was last year. Of course, attendees get access to lots of really great educational opportunities. We have some awesome stuff this year planned for all of you. Um, you get to see the latest equipment. And of course, you get to explore all of the other opportunities in printing. So I know most of you out there do apparel, but it's likely that you also expanded into other areas. Printing United Expo is the perfect place to really get your feelers out. Um, I personally also like to use the expo as a way to network. So I get to connect with all of you via video quite a bit. You all get to connect with each other via video quite a bit. There's nothing like connecting with each other in person. So hope to see all of you there, you know, drop by, say hi, introduce yourself. I love hearing your stories and what you've got going on in your various businesses and everyday lives. Uh, I've got for you, uh, Eric Terry, back to you guys. All right, that was awesome. You know, um, the the recycled water bottle uh, and the world's largest T-shirt. Uh, uh, you know, Tom Round from uh, Shirt Lab. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he still holds the record for wearing the most T-shirts at one time. And when I talked to him about it once, he's like, 
you know, it was all fun and games at the beginning. And then it starts pressing in on you and you, you know, he goes, I could barely breathe. And so when it was over, there's like two guys, they were like bodybuilders ripping the shirts off of him. <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it, it sounds like a minor thing until you see, if you see the video of Tom getting out of those shirts, it is epic. <laughs> Like I've I've seen some viral videos of people trying this by themselves on social media, and they get in not a fraction of the way Tom got in, and are freaking out trying to get back out of these shirts. It doesn't. It's not yeah. a small thing. Well, and, I and, love it, that. It, and a reflection of Tom Round because if, yes. if if Tom hears about something, he'll be like, "I, I bet I could do that." <laughs> and then he's he usually right. <laughs> It's usually right. But that, <laughs> love all the stories you had. And Cassie, thank you very much for that awesome news segment. Always fantastic. And especially, guys, go check out Alyssa Quan on the Perilous. She's got awesome articles coming out at all times. The video is always on. You got to check that out. And Purdue United Expo coming up. I mean, Terry, you know, you've been to it. It is an incredible event. It is. It's a, it's a huge show. It's, it's the largest uh, decorator show uh, in, in the country, uh, second only to FESPA in, in India and, and Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, you, you can, uh, hopefully they'll have the, the fishbowl again and the two regular guys <laughs> will be broadcasting live from the fishbowl. In fact, we have a meeting next week with the folks from Printing United uh, and uh, talking about doing a little promotion. We're going to have some of the folks from there on the show in the coming months and it's around the corner. We're all going to be in Atlanta and uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So get registered. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I always say this, um, you, you've got to go to this show at least once yeah. now. Um, now Ford, uh, who's the chairman says, Oh, Terry, every year, tell people to go every year. But, <laughs> But you know, you, you get to see the enormity of the industry by going to the show, and and you know, I've talked about this, I know, but um, you know, they're they're doing car wraps in one aisle, but they're not wrapping Chevy Volts; they're wrapping Maseratis. It's just, uh, <laughs> and Eric, you know, and when the show ends, as soon as the show ends, the first ones out are all the cars, and there's yes, just sir. like a line of these classic cars Great driving cars. out the back of it. We only the vendors get to see that, but. Uh, <laughs> So. Followed by uh, one year the equipment zone fire truck. So. That was awesome, by the way. The equipment zone fire truck was awesome. All right, before we go any further, uh, you know, we got a couple of uh, people coming in. We got some regulators joining in. I just wanted to go ahead and say hi. We got Todd over at Fat Dad Wholesale saying good morning, all. Good morning, Todd. Got Jerry coming in. Good, Jerry Dahlmer. Good morning, regulators. And Mo Boyd is in. Good morning, Mo. So we got some folks joining in already, as well as Kingsbury Crass and. This is true, Todd mentioning. So Tom's just getting a lot of love today. Uh, Tom also runs 100-plus mile marathons. He's broken. Uh, yeah, I think the word that the kids would use is cracked, man. Yeah, he is cracked. He's really good at what he does. And I think uh, endurance is what he does. He, he really does it well. Well, uh, and he also owns a he also owns a craft bre- uh, beer brewing company. So yes, I, I get a little nervous every time I think about it. <laughs> We may or may not have had a few uh, barley pops ourselves over the years. <laughs> we also have uh, Ramona coming in saying, good morning, fellas. So good morning, Ramona. Though, once again, before we get into anything further, we have something that is always here that endures from uh, show to show, and that is the dad joke. And today we've got one. We got a little spicy dad joke ready to go. <laughs> something that people hopefully will enjoy, but I like it. So, well, so Eric, really what's what's our rule? The two things we don't don't talk about: religion and politics, right? Yeah, never. Yeah, we don't talk okay, about that. religion. Here we go. So, <laughs> <laughs> all, all right, right, Eric. 
What do you call someone who only believes 12.5% of the Bible? You know, I don't know. What do you call someone who only believes in 12.5% very precisely of the Bible? <laughs> An atheist. <laughs> okay. Now, everybody expects me to groan and moan on this, but this is probably my favorite one you've ever put in because that is a, a <laughs> solid wordplay. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I still explained it in the parentheticals for you guys who are in the podcast. I did put atheist in parentheses spelled out correctly so everybody can get it, but that is probably one of the better jokes I think you've done on the show. All right, so, Todd, do your best to top that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, he's, he says Jesus approves. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay. We know, we know, mea culpa. And Amy says, love it. So yeah, hey, that was, <laughs> that was a good one, folks. Awesome. All right, well, Eric, before we go any further, we want to thank everybody for checking out the Two Regular Guys podcast. We are always looking for new guests, uh, maybe even today. And uh, <laughs> if anyone you know would like to join us, go to calendly.com slash two the number two regular guys with your show ideas. If you are listening to the podcast version of the show, we would appreciate you sharing the two regular, regular guys with all of your industry friends so they can become regulators too. here. Show number 501, right? Or was yes, that indeed. 500? Did we do 501 last week? I think it was 501, but I'll be honest with you. I just keep showing up. I don't know. Even as the producer, <laughs> I just keep showing up. Um, I don't worry about these numbers until there's a big one coming up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we would appreciate you giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you do your podcast listening. It's uh, always helpful for us if you guys go in there and do a review. We, we'd like it to be a positive review. And, and please don't comment that he told a religious joke, so I'm never tuning in again. Uh, <laughs> if you're watching us live right now, please join in with your comments and your questions. And what's the, what's the plan, Eric? Do we have a guest yet? You know, we don't currently have a guest. Zach has not joined us yet. So what we're going to do, folks, is go off script, as we are known to do anyway. But if Zach shows up, if we can get him in, if he shows up in the green room, which only I can see as producer, which unfortunately for Terry means he is at the whims of whatever I tell him is happening, uh, then we'll get Zach in and start talking. Other than that, we're going to be open. So if you guys have questions who are live, you have questions, comments, things about, let's let's stay on the topic of, uh, he said, becoming self-made as a decorator. Let's talk yeah. about our gener our ways of, of being a decorator, our journeys of becoming decorators. And I think that's something we can start on. But if you guys have questions, comments, things you want to ask, hey, at this point, embroidery tips, screen printing tips, I think we got you covered for that much. So, uh, <laughs> Terry, let's, well, let's start with you. I mean, I know you always say you told stories a million times, but you have a great story. Let's talk a little bit about it. Well, and by the way, I do know that Zach, he, I know he's got to be trying because when I I'm asked sure. him to be on the show back in Atlantic City, he was super excited. And he goes, oh, I, I love I love the two regular guys. I would love to be on the show. So <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he's out there trying. I know we but, make jokes, uh, guys. Don't, yeah, don't, don't throw shade at Zach. This is probably not Zach's thing. He's off at a live show and had a conflict. So it's hard to get in sometimes. You think you yeah. can, sometimes you can't. But like I said, if he gets in, we'll jump in. Otherwise, we're going to chat. So feel free. Like yeah. I said, if you're live, connect with us. Let's chat. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, as I always say, armed with my degree in journalism from Ohio <laughs> University, I accidentally became a screen printer. And and it all yep. came from, um, you know, work my way through college. And uh, 
I, I worked summers at Cedar Point Amusement Park. I worked, uh, I worked the school year. I worked 20, 30 hours a week at the campus bookstore, you know, to mm. back then though, you know, I, I went to school in the seventies and, um, and my hairstyle was different then, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, it wasn't too long though. Cause I was also president of my fraternity junior and senior year. So, um, so, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, rugby shirts, uh, painter pants, uh, people are out there laughing gotcha. from the seventies. I know, <laughs> but, uh, but working at the bookstore, uh, I work for the soft goods buyer and, you know, yeah. that's what we are soft goods. And, yeah. um, and she was always complaining that she couldn't get product in time. And by senior year, I said, you know, what would be cool is if, uh, is if I would buy equipment, you bring it in blank and I print it for you. And she's like, oh, that's, that's an awesome idea. We should do that. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, that would be pretty cool. And, and uh, I, I used to sit in her office while all the other uh, employees were down there pricing books and loading boxes and carrying 40 pound boxes here and 40 pound boxes there. I was sitting in her office. I even had a desk and I was sitting there read impressions magazine. That was like 200 pages then, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I, I'll bet I can do this. So yeah, I, so after I graduated, I bought equipment, um, had never seen it done before really. Uh, bought Scott Fresner's book, how to print uh, t-shirts for fun and profit. The first year it was out, and, uh, and, uh, taught myself to be a screen printer and, uh, and never left because, you know, as you know, it's hotel California, once you're in this industry, you don't leave. It's all the same headache headaches of any other business. You can, you know, um, dealing with employees and anybody out there who's, uh, who has employees who's listening right now, just sighed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I went from just me. Yeah. to at one point having 75 production floor employees. So wow. that is a, that is a life uh, all into itself. I mean, you, you are a full-time uh, babysitter, mom, dad, uh, counselor in chief, you know, <laughs> oh, and getting stuff out the door. <laughs> yeah. By the way, also producing shirts. Uh, what do we always say about it? Doing a good job and getting it out on time. That's, that's yeah, exactly right. Be. Do good work, get it out on or delivered on time. That's Absolutely. the secret. But, you know, and, and, and that's, and I was naive. I luckily, and, and it's kind of funny because I heard Zach speak one time and, and he talks about, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I just yeah. jumped in and, and, you know, sometimes you can research yourself to death and, and, and sometimes you just need to dive in. And, and of course, uh, Eric, you've heard me say this before. I, I assumed everybody uh, who started a business tried to learn everything there was to know about that business man. Yeah. And, and I realized very quickly, no, no, I, I can print two color prints. Uh, I'm happy. I don't, I, uh, uh, simulated process, mm, puffing. Uh, no, that feels like work. I don't, I really <laughs> don't want to come in this weekend. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I started that business, um, uh, sold out to one of my competitors about, wow. I, can't, I can't even remember now, six, seven years in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, I thought when they offered to buy my business, you know, really, you want my home built uh, exposure unit? You want my little Antag manual press? You want my Hicks dryer? No, they wanted my customers. And yeah, and I yeah. thought, holy cow, you were in business 20 years before me. Those customers were all here. Why, why didn't yeah. you have them? Not a very good screen printer. And so... 
Ivan offered to do some training for their new staff. And uh, I offered a two weeks of training. I did one because the second week uh, they all went on vacation. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'm out of here. <laughs> wow. And uh, I, I started uh, running bigger and bigger and bigger production shops around the country. And uh, another eye opening thing, you know, it, it was I would walk into a shop that was doing, say, three, four million dollars. All the same issues that uh, that I was having yeah. when I was, you know, printing in my basement, and and I thought, you know, no matter how big you are, it it's still screen printing, it's still embroidery, it's still 100%. sublimation, uh, and, and all all those people suffer from the same issues. And most of those big companies started in somebody's garage, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, Jones and Mitchell Sportswear in Kansas City, they they sold out to a company back in Ohio years ago, but but when I went there. They were doing three and a half million dollars in sales and couldn't get product out the door. I mean, they were mm. falling over themselves. Why? Because it was two guys getting their MBA at University of Kansas. They started screen printing Beacom Hawk t-shirts and and were selling thousands of them out of their fraternity mm. house and said, let's not get real jobs. Let's be screen printers. And, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and they did. And they grew the business. They had. Uh, 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 Mike Mitchell's wife, Betsy, was a really, really awesome artist. And so mm. she, she created these beautiful lines, you know, and they would uh, they would sell them to all these campus bookstores, could not turn the product around. So I went out, um, actually met, interestingly enough, at yeah. SGIA, uh, Printing United sure. in Atlanta. And I met uh, Mike Mitchell, uh, the president of the company, and uh, I was trying to sell him a, uh, a precision oval. And about 30 minutes into the conversation, he goes, so really the reason I was interested in talking to you, what do you think about coming out and running our production operation? <laughs> and I said, listen, I just took this job. I don't, I don't think so. But, uh, but I went out to consult and yeah. I went, went out for two weeks for two week consultation and I left six years later. So <laughs> I want to do this. Couldn't get product out the door at three million dollars. Yeah. Uh, when I left, we were doing thirteen and a half million dollars wow. dead on deliveries. So wow. it, it got to amazing. be the point, and that's where I had seventy-five employees. It got to be the point though where it was running so smoothly that the challenge was gone. So I said, I'm going to back away now. You've got, I've got all these supervisors trained. We've got all these great employees. I'm going to go find another, another. Uh, case that needs to, to be solved another another production floor that needs to be fixed and yeah. i went on to a couple of other jobs and then of course huh. i you know how to print t-shirts for fun and profit yeah um scott fresner i uh i run into and, and scott pat fresner wrote that book and and so i run into scott when i'm uh flying from maryland i was running a production shop in uh, in waldorf maryland and uh, ran into scott at the airport because i was flying to kansas uh, for my sons, uh, both my sons were in the same fraternity and it was dad's weekend. And so uh, I was flying out there, ran into Scott and, and he was asking me, you know, what I was doing this and that. And, and, uh, and he said, you know, Pat and I were just talking about you. What would you think about coming to Phoenix and, um, and, and uh, helping us with this new software program and helping us with our screen printing classes. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I've never been to Phoenix, but yeah, I'm interested in that. So six weeks later, 
here I am in Phoenix. Yeah, right. <laughs> Six weeks later, uh, 21 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. I think Phoenix agreed with you very well. What I love about hearing your story again, number one, for all of you guys who don't know, where you're like, oh, Terry's the equipment zone guy. I'm like, no, Terry's not the equipment zone guy. He's not just the equipment zone guy. Terry, <laughs> has, Terry really has run real big contract work that is massive. And yeah, so when yeah. we talk about production scheduling and efficiencies, I come from the what is like the mom and pop shop level. You know, I come from the level where we are a local shop. We've got multi-decoration options, but you know, we're running 60 odd heads of embroidery. So that's not crazy. I mean, if you go see like the emblem companies, they have machines with 50 heads on them. Like, so I come from the kind of the general bread and butter shop that you might see in your own city or your own small, smaller city, right? Not the big contract shops, but more of the custom shops. It's awesome to hear about those efficiencies. And I will 100% agree um, throughout my career arc. And maybe we'll get into that later if we still don't have Zach later. The thing that it's awesome to listen, listen to and uh, that I will fully agree with having done consulting after the fact and working with larger shops than the one I came from is that the base problems are really elemental. Um, a lot of them really are just the problems of any business for the business side and the problems of any shop for the production side. It's efficiencies. It's how to do the work. And you're right. There's something, there's really something to this concept of, um, deciding to learn it all. The the people who didn't know I was the same, same kind of person. I didn't know that you didn't know everything. So I just tried, I just kept throwing myself at it until I figured stuff out and learning as best I could along the way. And I think that makes the difference for a lot of folks. Um, It's not that you can't do the job without doing that, but I think there's a certain kind of folks where you do continue to analyze and work and reflect on things and it it makes you improve along the way. But it's super cool to hear that, man. Well, exactly right. And and I think that uh, especially when you get employees, you have to learn how to simplify the process, make sure, yeah. you know, make it easy to understand. And, and, and I think that's uh, for both of us, Eric, I think that's yeah. doing that sort of thing has, has really spun us into doing articles and, and doing, course, uh, yeah. and, and doing the, um, uh, the seminars and things like that, because, you know, my early seminars was basically, this is what I'm teaching my, my production crew. Now I'm going to teach you so you can go teach your production crew, you know, and, but but Eric, uh, yeah. you know, talk about your start though. You did you didn't okay. start as a as a guy no. on an embroidery machine, right? I, absolutely not. Um, I <laughs> I was never intended to do this. This is not what I was supposed to do. At least that's what I, nobody expected me to do. Um, by the way, the other thing is, Eric I was Campbell not a natural. Accidentally artist. became a an embroiderer. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And here I'll actually, which I actually have done in live seminars. I'm going to. Uh, cop something from Terry, which he always does. He says, you know, you give him credit once. Well, here's me giving him credit publicly. Uh, armed with my degree uh, in English and medieval studies, I became an embroiderer. So yeah, I've got the same <laughs> same kind of arc where I went. And also I finished my degree while I was a digitizer. While I was a full-time digitizer, I finished my degree because I actually took time off in the middle um, because I did something just like a lot of folks have done. Whereas you get into this industry, you start working it and very much like the story you told about the shop you you were working with, that you were kind of helping out. Uh, I came in and was like, all right, I got my degree. I finished up. And as I finished up my degree, I'm like, so beginning professors make the same money I do doing the thing I already do and enjoy. Cool. Also, I graduated right at the right after the 2008 financial crash. Oh. And as you can imagine, medieval studies, 
on the chopping block for a lot of universities. There were not a lot of positions to go to. And I just thought, you know what? I'm doing what I do. I like what I do. I was already writing. I had been writing then for uh, about three years. And so I was like, you know, I'm teaching. I'm kind of, I was always going to be a professor of some sort. So if you guys get into my classes and you ever go, wow, this guy sounds like he really wants to be a college professor. Yeah, I kind of was. That was what the, <laughs> that was the plan. If you get a lecture hall uh, class for me, that's probably why. <laughs> that's where I was. I lived in academia, but I'll, I'll give you the, the cliff notes version of this. The one thing, two things I need to bring up though, which is kind of funny. Uh, you know, Terry talks about, you know, having the, the companies where they shut down, they get sell out and somebody gets those customers. I come from a customer, a company that died, that was bought up. And the company you guys all know me from bought the failed company that I was at. And I was one of the employees they brought over and they said, we don't know what to do with you. And I got in, they already had digitizer. They already had everything else. I built all of their websites. I built all of their e-commerce and I started doing the digitizing and uh, much to the great chagrin of the original digitizer who eventually left, I supplanted him in that position as well. He became a, a manager of the embroidery department and was not particularly fond of that. Uh, so, or you or me. Yeah. Oh, definitely not me. Yeah. But I, I know how that feels. So the funny thing is you're saying, Oh yeah, I was, te- I'm just teaching people stuff that everybody else taught. When I first started writing blog posts, this is the things that, that I really don't say publicly much, but I'm just going to be candid today. It was, here are all the things happening at my company that I wish somebody would do something about. Because I wasn't the person running the company. I was one of the people who was working for the company, even though I had roles that were managerial in little areas. Like I was the entirety of, of digitizing in the art department and I was the e-commerce manager all these years. So it's like I ran little segments of the company, but had to answer to a, a decision maker. And so I, I started writing a lot of these things like, if anyone were listening, this is what's actually happening in the company. <laughs> this is what we should probably be doing. <laughs> but uh, the way I started very much like Terry, I, I just thought, hey, there was a way to do things. But I originally was just hired on for summer help. I was a teenager. First thing I ever did in the apparel industry was get into a back of a box truck and huck 80 pound boxes, jerseys boxes back and forth to customers. So I rode around with the delivery guy. That was my job. Um, after a while of riding around the delivery guy, uh, we had our embroidery operator needed a hand. We had some older machines that need to be put back into production. And she's like, you want to learn how to run the machines? And immediately I'm like, oh, something technical and, and potentially nerdy that was cool. I'm like, yeah, I want to run a big machine. I, we had these 12 head Tajimas. We had really old Melco Starlets. If you're an embroiderer right now, you're laughing because I ran a Melco Starlet. These are old, not great machines um, that ran weird file formats, but jumped in. Learned that and I became an operator. So for and it wasn't a long time that I was an operator only, but I was an embroidery operator. And the the joke I always make is we kind of call ourselves watchers because the machines I ran, I ran between one and two 12 heads that didn't have thread break sensors. So you ran up and down the aisle uh, watching each of the machines run because if there was a thread break, you had to stop the machine manually and back it up. So you just watched every single piece running. And I think that was massively formative for me because I really got to understand the stresses that were on the embroidery. Because, yeah. boy, there is nothing like uh, making a mistake when you know there's no thread break sensors, especially as a digitizer starting out. But one day I look in the corner of the of the place. I'm like, what's that? There's a computer under this big dust cover in the corner. It's been there like the whole time I'm there. I was like, what is that? Because me being a geek and a nerd, I was like, oh, is that Internet connected? Is there something I could be doing with that? Is that something technical I can play with? I was like, I, I see it's connected to stuff. I see it's over there powered up. What is it? 
and the little single head machine that was over there that I always wanted to run. My my machine that people tease me about, the little brother commercial machine I had, BAS 415, still love it to this day. That was all over there. It was also the newer, newest machine in the shop. We're like, all right, what is that? And operator says, oh, it's the, it's the machine for making the files for this thing. Nobody wants to mess with it. And I'm like, oh, I, I sure do. I'm like, you can control this. We don't have to wait for someone in Texas to mail us a floppy disk or to, you know, <laughs> eventually to email us stuff. I mean, I was just on the edge of that stuff. People were still old school punching tapes. I was like, no, but it, we have the thing. Just nobody knows how to use it. Went to the boss, asked about it. And what I always say is the boss graciously gave me all the time that I wanted after work <laughs> to, uh, to do whatever I wanted learning. So I worked these 20 hour days, half unpaid. Uh, slept under my desk sometimes, ran those machines, ran, you know, ran the single head, tested and kept on going. And within three months, I was doing full commercial production at a shop that, you know, had 60 odd heads. And That's I just, awesome. be I became the digitizer, not knowing later on when I talked to people, they're like, oh yeah, you get good after maybe like two, three years. Back in the day, they used to think there was this arc where about one year you can start to do production. And then about three years in, you're pretty good. I was like three months and I was doing production for major brands. Cause we had, we were selling into department stores and stuff. So like and the other, the other joke I tell is like my first really poor job, the worst thing that I probably did, my very first hat job. Uh, I didn't know was done for, for my boss's friend. We just did this just job for his kids graduating class for Paramus high school. And I, I knew nothing. I had connections in New York and back East. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing this kid's thing. It turns out that kid was the son of one of the muckety mucks at, um, at Nautica at the clothing brand Nautica. So unbeknownst to me, my very first job that was very poorly done was for, for the, like one of the heads at Nautica's son. Uh, so I, unbeknownst to me this whole time, I remember the first time like doing lighthouses for Nautica, having no idea that we were doing this major brands work. I didn't really understand any of it. Um, but the thing I always talk about was that I learned largely by myself. It was only well into this process. And it's kind of funny by accident that I found a trade magazine. It was in one of the desks at the, uh, I believe in the art department. They moved me up to the art department eventually as I became more and more involved in art and I wasn't operating as much. Then they moved me up into the art department. I, I went into the dark room with the artist, which I thought was the coolest thing ever because now I was real, you know, bonafide. I'm in the art department. I got closer to the front desk. You know, that's what I say as close as you are to the front windows, the better off you were doing. And uh, I, I see this trade magazine and I'm like, people talk about this you can learn from people who know what they're doing. There's something somebody else knows and literally found an old one. And I'm like, I want more of these. Can, where do I get this? And I had no idea. And this is like early internet. You have to realize guys, this is not massive adoption, not online magazines. None of that's really there. And I go to the boss like, oh yeah, we get those all the time. You want them? <laughs> just astounded. So my early heroes, even though I had already, I'm already in production, I'm already doing this. I have just learned everything by trial and error. And from the manual we had from this old DOS program, trial and error entirely. I finally find there's people and those early heroes of mine were the people who were writing for the magazines. And it's yeah. funny because that was, so for me, the, the big thing was all that happened. It was, I really started digitizing pretty hard in like 99 to 2000. That's my time. And after that, I got into these magazines and I started looking and there's contests. And early on in like 2006, I enter my first contest. I'm super excited. I enter my first contest and I win. And uh, Nicola Rolander, who we all know, uh, over at Stitches Magazine says, hey, we're doing this blog thing. Do you think you can write for this blog? 
And I was, I was on board. I had had a website since I was in, you know, first do, taking college courses when I was real young. And when the internet was weird and we <laughs> had it based out of the website from the university, we had our individual little pages we could write ourselves. So started writing for the blogs and that was it ever since. I haven't, I haven't stopped writing and teaching since 2006, but the, the entire thing was after I saw these people teaching the magazines, I'm like, man, I wish I had had that. And I thought about all of the things that I had to learn by just trying and failing and starting over that somebody could have helped. And it would have been fantastic to have had a mentor or someone to teach me. Yeah. Cause especially back then, I, even when I met one of the local people who digitized, who had originally digitized for the shop, she was not pleased that I had taken over there, number one, because I, I completely eliminated the revenue stream. And on top of it, like, didn't want to talk, didn't want to talk shop, didn't want to give things away. And eventually I heard back was fairly unhappy um, that I was writing in the magazines and writing for the, for the blogs because it came out that she was just like, you're giving away the secrets. You're giving away the sauce. Like every, you keep on teaching people stuff without asking, without teaching a class, without paying for it, making people pay for it. You're, you're giving out the secrets. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, was this, yeah. it was a very different world than it is now. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so funny, uh, Eric, when you said, I'm my blogs. I was just writing about what was going wrong at my shop. Yeah. I, I, when I was at Jones and Mitchell Sportswear, some there'd be some crisis going on, you know, and you know, it, it, in accounting or whatever, and yeah. I'd be making notes, and the president <laughs> of the company would look over and he goes, "You're going to write an article about this, aren't you?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, you're going to mention our names now, nah. <laughs> because at the time I was doing a column for screen printing impressions and a magazine that's no longer around called screenplay. Mm. And so I needed a lot of, uh, a lot of content. So, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you well, know, I, course- but that's it, right? It, it's, it's what we always talk about. People get worried about making their own content too. I was tell them like, you're just document, you're already doing it. It's, it's actually yeah. much harder on the other side. Sometimes I think. When I was on the shop floor, I had no end of content because I was constantly running headlong into the same problems everybody else was. So now it's more about consulting with folks and helping them through problems. And then I learned through uh, having to formulate that for people. As you said, making it simple for people is part of how we get this going. And it's also, I think it's a kind of a mission statement for us. But I believe that it's it's because very much like our, our our guest wanted to talk about, because a lot of it was when you're working by yourself, when you are, and I hate to say self-made because my operator helped me. The people who wrote the manual for my software, I, whatever I say about that software back in the day, they tried. They gave us as much as they could. And then when I eventually found the trade magazines, there were people like us, even back then, who were teaching and writing and and giving us that kickstart. I mean, at least for me, I, and I don't know, I think Terry, you probably had different experience because it was earlier that people made even then even less access. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and it, it was, uh, I, I think the internet really helped open people up to yeah. sharing information. There was a lot of, uh, holding your cards pretty, pretty close and, or, or people in companies that didn't want, you know, as, as me going in, I usually went in as the production or plant manager mm-hmm. and people there who didn't want to tell you what they did or how they did it, you know, sure. because that was their job security, not realizing that, yeah. that, that you, you can actually grow your job by, by sharing, teaching other people, that sort of thing. So, and, and you know, I don't know if you've done this, Eric, but, Sure. I, I've I've literally written articles for the purpose of 
figuring out how to how to teach it to someone else. 100%. And so I'll, I'll you know, uh, scheduling. I, I do a lot of articles on estimated production time and scheduling and are used to yeah. it. And, and so I, I would write an article about it just in my, in my own mind, be able to kind of piece it together so that it was easy for somebody to understand. Then I would go and, and have somebody on my production floor learn to do it. And I, I, did, a, I did a time study class uh, when, uh, when I was running a production floor one time and, and it was one of those deals. And I know we've talked about it here on the show for every 15 minutes, you write down what you were doing briefly, and then you go through and, and categorize it. And uh, we figured out that I was spending 60% of my time on the production floor in some level of scheduling. Yeah. And, um, and so the person teaching the class said, that seems like something you could teach someone else to do. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. And of course, then that's when I had to lay it all out. Here's how I do it and, and make it super easy. Hired a part-time person that came in who worked uh, uh, while her, her kids were in school. Uh, after she dropped them off, she came in. She left uh, to go pick up the, the kids and mm-hmm. and lifted a huge burden of time away from me. And so and, yeah. and those, are, those are the kind of things you have to do when you when you're running a production operation that take a look at what you're doing and and how can you make it more efficient? Can somebody else do that job? It's hard. It's hard to let go. You know, as, oh, as we know, uh, how, the, the book we're going to write, How to Micromanage Your Business to Success. <laughs> Which is uh, awesome because that's business. Aaron, Aaron jumped in from the airport, folks, and he says, most of the early two early guys were just what was happening around us. Micromanage your way to success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thinking the same thing, right? And, and of course, Aaron, to, before I'll get a couple more uh, comments that we have for the regulars, but Aaron also saying, airport, thanks for making it happen. Hey, thanks for always making it happen for us, Aaron. Take care of yourself, man. Exactly. No worries. We got you. But we have a couple other stories that I thought were worthwhile. And by the way, Jerry says about your story, it was such a great story. And I fully agree. And Ramona (laughs) has a lovely story too. She says, I was a quilter. I made quilts to donate and compete. One quilt needed some embroidery. I hired it out. It was terrible. I decided I could do it better. That was 12 years ago. And I haven't made a quilt since no time. If you don't know Ramona, a digitizer herself, who who also digitizes for folks. So a source digitizer and an educator and has her own show, by the way, on Saturdays. So coffee conversation with Ramona and she talks all about embroidery very much like I do. So I've had her in my classes, which I love too. It's something that Terry always talks about where somebody is in your classes. Now she was already doing her work before that. So I'm not going to say like, I'm, I am somehow the source of the work she's doing, but it's so cool to see someone who's been in your classes, then take up that mantle and go, I'm going to teach, I'm going to share. I'm going to do that too. And I'm like, man, that's yeah. so awesome. I just, I'm just glad to be part of this chain of people who think that the right answer to this is to, be open, be a little vulnerable, share stuff uh, and talk about this industry and keep it, keep it going, keep it alive and keep it lively. I just love that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Scott Fresner. He was, he was yeah. my, he was my hero, you know, cause he wrote the book and then yeah. I started seeing the articles, you know, that he was writing and things like that. And I remember calling home from a trade show about 10 years after I got into the industry and I said, Hey, I'm somebody in screen printing. And <laughs> the response was, Oh, uh, really? <laughs> and I go, yeah. <laughs> I was just walking through the trade show and saw Scott Fresner, and he said, "Hey, Terry, how you doing?" I'm somebody. <laughs> I'm like, Steve Martin and the jerk. <laughs> oh, somebody. I gotta say, same for me. Um, 
some of my early friends when I started writing were people who I had read previously. And it was yeah. like, but I remember first going, Oh my God, that's Bonnie. She's over there. She writes the articles. From that. And now I know that we were all just normal people working jobs and writing at the same time. It's funny, but at the same time, that first, the first meeting you had with people that yeah. wrote when, you, especially if you were looking to them for that guidance, you were looking to them to help you through those times where I can't lie. There are some, you know, there's some dark nights of the soul when you are really in the trenches trying to get stuff working and you're, you feel like you're ready to quit. And you're like, other people have done this. These people are here with me. We've all had this. We kind of share this experience and it helps you get through that stuff. I mean, it wasn't until yeah. much later that I got that, but when I did, I was pretty happy. Well, you know, one thing though, we, uh, when we're writing for the magazine, so the, there was, there's an editor there and yeah. saying, okay, is this correct? Or, you know, uh, hopefully we don't get too much of that anymore, but, uh, now it's oversharing all this information on the yeah. internet. And it's yeah. just like, it's so frustrating, you know, because, and I, and I talk to customers all sure. the time, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, on the internet, they said to do it like this. I'm like, band-aid, that's a band-aid that they're, they're yeah. they don't, they don't know how to do it. So they're teaching you how to put a band-aid on it to make it work. And there's so much of that. I know, I know we've, beat that that oh, horse <laughs> over and over again for the last 10 years but it's so frustrating because uh, new decorators don't know the difference and yeah. that's the problem uh, uh, somebody that has some experience can read an article or watch a video and sure. go mm, that doesn't make sense because of this yeah. a newbie is like okay i'll do it just like that and uh, I, I feel like in my screen printing classes, I spend half my time re-educating people from what they saw <laughs> on the internet, you know? <laughs> I'll, I'll say that the gracious way I usually put it is, you know what? There's more of the way, one way to do this thing. Feel free to try. Try them both. Do time studies on it and see what's faster for you, what works best for you. I will say 100%, there are very few things. I have one, one outstanding case where I tell people, no, everyone else is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> One outstanding case, uh, 3D foam underlay. Don't use underlay to cut the edge of 3D foam. Just use the top stitching. I'm sorry, the underlay falls out of the sides and that's why a lot of it looks bad. End of story. It's I would give it that one 30 second blurb because it's the only one I ever say that where I'm like, nope, you're wrong. I don't like it. It doesn't work. Everything else, <laughs> hey, we all know there's these different ways we can do things. It's why I teach the elements. I know you're, you're very similar. We teach these things that are very close to how it works, not just somebody wants to walk you through a project like a recipe they're like okay tell me how to do this kind of design specifically i'm like no let me tell you how stitches work let me tell you a little bit how the machine works let me tell you about the foundational ideas underneath the software you're using yes and then any software you sit at any machine you sit at anything that you're working on if you know that level any abstraction on top of it any automation can be broken down and you'll understand what's happening and then you can you can address it in all these different ways. There's different ways to handle all the variables, but, <laughs> but big, but there, if you don't know how the base of the thing works, how the ink lays down, why screen mesh matters, why thread thickness matters, how density works, how pull compensation works. If you don't know these things about the very mm -hmm. basic nature, then the technical stuff will get away from you. And I think it's somewhat similar in business because I think what most of the problem people have is they just start measuring they're not measuring, they're not looking, and yeah. they've often, they've grown like all of us did from the from the garage shop to the large shop, and you're doing garage shop stuff forever. You know, you're working mom and pop stuff forever unless you stop and think, hey, was that just something we thought of on the fly and it worked, or was it actually sensible? You have to revisit this stuff throughout, you know? It's, it's, it's different yeah. 
to have that kind of thought. You know, I, I wrote an article once um, uh, entitled Be Your Own Consultant. Mm. And, and, and it mm. just talked about take a step back from your business, yeah. uh, follow, a, follow a, a garment through the process, step by step by step, F follow yeah. artwork through the process, step by step. And, and, and um, I, I did a consultation one time and the, the owner of the company looked kind of agitated as I'm giving him my 40 page report. And he goes, <laughs> Terry, we, we already know 80% of this. And I said, oh, I know. You're just not doing anything about it. So you had to hire me to come and tell you, you need yep. to fix this. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you're exactly right. We, we knew it and we didn't do anything about it. So, I mean, honestly, people, that's, that's most consultants. When they come into your shop, they're going to tell you something yeah. you already know. You just, you, you could take that, you could save a few thousand dollars, take a step back yeah. Say, I'm not going to answer the phone today. I'm not going to digitize today. I'm not going to yeah. do this today. I'm going to observe my business and, and try to determine how to make it better. And, you know, as a production manager, I spent my days doing that. You know, yeah. uh, if anybody ever said, well, we're looking for a working production manager. Oh, you want somebody to run an automatic press and be in charge? No, thank you. Uh, it's not a production but, manager, ultimately. But, I mean, oh, yeah, you but, can uh, do you know, it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm in my office with multiple Excel spreadsheets, you know, and sure. you, you know, the regulars listen to us all talk about our Excel spreadsheets because we're sure. all nerds and, uh, but, but calculating and saying, you know, I, I didn't see this until yeah. I did the numbers. Then I realized, and you know, when I, when I do, um, I used to consult and, and uh, do a, a consultation called double your production in 30 days mm -hmm. and screen printing shops, the, the production floor employees, well, the people running the presses, their eyes would get like saucers and go like, I can't print any faster. And yeah. little known fact, in screen printing shops, the printing is the easy part. The printing is the part that most people have figured out. Mm -hmm. They just haven't figured out how to be efficient with everything else in their shops. You know, yeah. I, I've walked into a hundred screen printing shops, automatic presses, manual presses, not a single press is running when I walk in. There's something wrong if nobody's printing shirts and, and it's because you're not efficient with your setup. You're not efficient with your teardown. You're not yep. efficient with the, having the art being complete. You're not efficient with pulling the products. Absolutely. And, and so, uh, and, and I've done that in multiple shops, double their production time without doing anything different printing, just <laughs> getting efficient with everything else. So you know, you're totally right. I mean, one of the things that I always teach in e-commerce is the same and, and I have done the same thing with workflow and embroidery, have done the same thing in production, but I'm like, eat your own dog food. It, once you build an e-commerce site, go and buy something. And yes, I do include mean, yes. like put your credit card in the processor, the whole thing. Yep. You're going to pay those fees to yourself. You know, we're just going to lose 3% to the processors, but you have to go through the entire process, including receiving the thing from your department, shipping it to your house, the entire process. If you don't eat mm -hmm. your own dog food, if you don't try this stuff out for yourself and see how it really feels, you never really know. Now, right. admittedly, it's always good to bring in an outside person who hasn't already seen the process because so many times we forget, like we've explained something to ourselves so much in our head that we think it's just the real way things should work. But so much of it can be solved by just saying, all right, put it in order and walk it. Like you said, walk it through. And the other thing that I was always surprised by with embroidery shops is how much, um, loss there was in walking stuff around the floor. 
literally walking stuff around the floor. I'm like, oh, we all have a printer that we go get our instructions from and it's in the front office and we're in a, a shop in the back and everybody walks to the entire length of a football field back and forth over and over all day to go to the printer to get stuff. And I'm like, you ever guys thought about putting a network printer in the back? And this is back before everybody was doing everything on, on, uh, you know, on actual network systems where we had job management, they're going to go get paperwork every two seconds. And I'm like, okay, put the printer in the back and people can pick it up when it's printed out. And it, it, that eliminated a mass yeah. chunk of time in the day or that they didn't stage all of their jobs. So they were easy to get to. So they were tripping all over themselves, moving around. They weren't, it was literally the physical nature or the other thing that kills me, not having the right tools at each machine the cost of a toolkit for each machine. So you have every, you know, every uh, Allen key and screwdriver that you need at that machine when you need it, instead of somewhere where we're all going to the tool chest every five seconds to get something, or someone has their favorite screwdriver that they're walking around the shop. It's just maddening the yeah. little, little stuff that happens if, if nobody pays attention and it's not, no, I don't think anybody's ever malicious. You just no, get used to it. Or, You're frog in a pot. They- or, or, and it's hard to change. It's hard for sure. people to change, you know? Uh, of course. So, you know what? That we, we have new tools now. We have, we have the internet now. We have better ways to do this. And, yes. and so it, it's hard to make that change. But once people do, then they realize, and then they start looking for ways to make things better in your shop, you know? So yeah. you have to empower I, your people. That's yeah, what Terry says all the time. Who who knows more about a screen printing shop? Who knows more about an embroidery shop than the people doing the work? Ask yeah. them what would make yeah. your job easier. Yeah. And if you implement the things that they suggest or tell them why you didn't, then they're going to come up with more more things to help you. But if if you are because I said you said so, uh, you're never going to grow as a business. So. Oh, I absolutely. I think that's the thing. Even the things that we say, you should always be analyzing and seeing what the fit is. Um, we can tell you all these different things. And of course, we're also getting, I gave you a tongue in cheek example where it's not really common anymore. If you've got a job management system, everybody's looking this stuff up in a tablet that's sitting next to their machine or they're being, they're yeah. operating in a different way. Nobody's running the printer the same way it used to be. It's not job jacket time. We're not all manila folders uh, like it was in my early career, but sure. the same stuff is still true. Like how many steps are you taking from piece to piece? And I always talk about artwork. Like you said, art approvals, wow, the art approval process and not being on top of that will make an entire shop spin out. It's amazing how that can be where you just don't make uh, the requirements for the customer clear. You're like, this is your part of what we're doing together, customer. If you don't have this approval in time at this point, your production slot moves. We need the approval at this point for the production to continue on and then stick to it. Stick to your guns. You know, that's the, that is a hard thing to do, but if you're upfront with it, it really makes a massive difference. A a clean approval process, a clean process of getting information down the chain without it constantly being questions being back, asked back up the chain is massive to your production. It's like you said, people always expect whenever I ask about what people want me to teach them, it's teach me how to do 3d foam. And I'm like, I kind of go, okay, I can do that what other processes are not working in the business? <laughs> like what's, what's going on with your workflow? Have you ever drawn a flow chart? Here's where I get nerdy. This is what actually taught me the most about my company and about so much I taught later down the road. I went through my company when we were working on uh, onsite. I built, I physically built the server that they were running on onsite before I left. Um, so physically built the machine and installed and did all the stuff and helped to run onsite, which is a production management system. 
And I was like, all right, so I'm going to follow the jobs and I'm going to make a decision tree, a, a literal flow chart. How does information flow through the company? And this spun out into five trees of all of this information. I was like, there are massive recursions and problems all through it. Literally just drawing a line from place to place where th that information was yeah. going before it got to production. And it blew me away. How many loops were in that system? How many things were spreading out where they shouldn't be? How many times people were, were working backward? And it taught me so much about the way information flows and how much more important it was than some of the stuff I teach. Now, don't get me wrong. If you can't embroider at the base level, if you don't know how to make the designs look good or run well, you can't do anything. But once you can, the stuff that trips you up is, is sneaks up on you is the stuff like production management, is the stuff like information management, is the stuff like watching how much time you spend on tasks or like Terry said, not having people in the right places when you need them, you know, that like with scheduling. Yeah. Sometimes you really do need to change roles or get new people in and it makes more sense because you can go after more business once you've freed yourself from that stuff. You know, I, I did one, I went into a shop once and and they had, you know, the paper order, the jack job jacket yeah. going through. And it was just, it was like 10 pages in there. And I'm like, what is all this? Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, different people need different things. So I uh I said, okay, here's the deal. So I gave the art department one color marker and I gave uh, you know, every department had their own color of of of, of uh Sharpie. Yeah. Or not a Sharpie, but a, a highlighter. highlighter. Yeah. And and I said, whatever you use on every order this week, highlight it. Yeah. And so um, about 20% of the things were highlighted by someone. The rest was just never looked at. So I went yeah. into order entry and I said, here's the deal. These are the only items that need to be on the order. And of course, their, their heads were exploding. But what if somebody needs, if there's a catastrophe and somebody needs more information, Somebody could call the customer, but, but it's just, and, and people were just like leafing through pages and I'm, I'm out there on the production floor observing and I'm watching them leafing through all these pages. I'm thinking, what is going on here? Let's, let's make this clean. Let's make this simple. Let's make this show end on time. <laughs> all right i mean with that we are about out i'm gonna go ahead and bring a couple more user comments in like user comments wow you can tell i've done support before haven't you uh listener comments <laughs> viewer comments reciprocators shall we all right so we have a couple more folks in ramona says uh i agree this is about the website testing build your website work work it before taking it live i have a friend who does test orders for me she's great let's me know where the flow issues are yeah flow is everything folks really you can't you cannot stress that enough where people stop is where they also change their minds, especially in the purchasing process. If you encounter friction, they're more likely to change their minds and not tip. That's just a, a sales tip for me to you. Make it easy. If people are trying to give you money, make it real easy for them to give you money. And then Jan says, it's the little things. Having a pair of scissors on each machine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if they don't have trimmers in their hand, what are they doing? You're an embroiderer. You should live with one of those. Uh, but for real, it, it's just important to have that. And Ramona says, which I love, all my machines are within four feet of each other, but each has its own tool set. Uh, yeah. And this is the thing I always think about with production. Um, I remember listening to a chef talk about mise en place, which is preparing your area. And he's like, everything stays clean. You work clean. As you're working, you clean up and you have everything prepped for your for the particular dish. You do all of your prep work and you could blindfold me and I could reach any of my tools and start working. I wouldn't have to look. I could reach my yep. hand out and touch anything that I need in my area. And I'm like, that is how the operating area should be for any machine. You should be able to yeah. reach out and touch the thing you need. 
For Can real. you hand me the scissors? Is something you should never hear. <laughs> scissors are cheap. Time is expensive. <laughs> Labor is expensive. All right. So with that, you know, I think we are at the end of our show. <laughs> but let's first just kind of go through the stuff we usually do, Terry. What do you Absolutely. have coming up? I have uh, my complete screen printing business course. I'm going to actually be right here in Phoenix this weekend uh, at nice. Workhorse Products. I think we still have a couple of slots open if anybody's in the area and wants to go to a screen printing class. Uh, I'll be at Atlas Screen Supply next weekend, June 10th and 11th. Uh, I'm not sure if that one's sold out. That that uh, that class sells up pretty quickly. Mm. I'm going to be, uh, I'll be seeing Cassie. <laughs> uh, I'll be with Equipment Zone at the uh, Apparel Decorators Summit, Decoration nice. Summit uh, in Nashville. That's June 12th and uh, 12th through 14th. So yes, I get home Sunday night at 1030. I leave <laughs> for the airport at 3 a.m. to go to Nashville. And I'll be joining Eric and Aaron in Fort Worth this fall. Um, I'm going to be speaking on DTG and DTF printing, and I'm going to be moderating a panel that includes uh, our guests from today. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> have a chance to hear from <laughs> And uh, otherwise, uh, watch for all my upcoming events at terrycombs.com. How about you, Eric? Well, I have, as always on Friday, the take-up coming up. And this day we have... Uh, Episode 154, so not quite to 500 on my end yet. But uh, should I digitize my own design? So this is an evergreen question from embroiderers and erstwhile digitizers alike. Uh, does it make sense to do digitizing yourself or in-house? We're going to discuss why you would want to or not, uh, when and how you can make the transition, and discuss kind of this dovetailing method I often recommend that allows you to keep sourcing. And we talk about that balance between outsourcing and doing things yourself and why. So head over to ericcampbell.com and click the take up tab at the top of the links. And I will be live at 2.30 daylight time, apparently, <laughs> to share, jump in, share your insights with me. And I would love to see you there. Also, as Terry said, upcoming classes are going for Impressions Expo. So if you're going to Fort Worth, you'll have a chance to see me. The first thing is presenting the value of embroidery. So this is more about uh, sales presentation, how you get people to fall in love with the concept of embroidery and how you make it uh, show its best self to your customers. And we're working out potentially something else about digitizing techniques, but cross your fingers, hasn't been fully worked out yet. If it happens, there should be something fun as well. For those of you, I know I, I joke around about you don't need the technique as much as you need the process and the sales, but I still really do love teaching the technique. So you guys will be able to get a little bit of that from me. All right. And uh, Aaron has uh, says that there yes. is still time to register for Start Here Academy in Indianapolis the day before the Graphics Pro Expo, uh, which yes. is uh, it will be on the uh, evening of June 14th. And he says it is shaping up to be an amazing event. You can go to the OSG link slash SHA for yeah. Start Here Academy. And that's a lot of other self-made people talking about their work. So if you're into it, you're somebody just starting out and you want to learn more about just getting going, uh, Start Here Academy is really awesome. And Aaron does a fantastic job as an MC over there. So I would absolutely go check out both what he's uh, presenting and how uh, he does that MC work. He keeps all that stuff running. All right. All right. Yeah. So with that, we've come to the close of another show. Uh, thank you very much <laughs> to Zach for trying to show up. We hope we can get you on again, but I'm going to say thank you, Terry, for leading us off with your story. I mean, I, you can always say, oh, you've heard it a million times. 
I've, I've heard it and I love listening to your story every time because I still think there's always new stuff there. And on top of it, it just it really encompasses an arc in the industry that I think is important for people to discuss. So thank you very much for sharing, Terry. Absolutely. You as well, Eric. Love hearing your story as well. Starting uh, starting moving boxes. So <laughs> <laughs> also thanks for being our show producer and more than part-time co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week. Hopefully, <laughs> we've got Angelica Angel Powers joining us talking about building your brand, how to make sales and influence people. And so we'll, uh, like I said, we'll try and reschedule Zach, but jump in next time to see what uh, Angelica has to share with us. Yeah, I believe she is one of the speakers at Start Here Academy, I think. Awesome. So. Awesome. All right. Until then, I'm Terry Combs. He's Eric Campbell. And we are the two other guys. Here we go. We're out! <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to Two Regular Guys. Check out our website at tworegularguys.com. That's the number two, regularguys.com. You can also interact with us over at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tworegularguys, or send us a tweet, twitter.com slash tworegularguys. And we have a YouTube page. You can find all that from our website, tworegularguys.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to spending some time with you again next week.